Well, good morning, everybody. Should I say we need more people sitting over here? I have to turn my head. What is it? <laughs> uh, so who's, who's got all their Christmas shopping done? Miss Marge, you, you didn't raise your hand? Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you all come, right? We're still waiting on Amazon. <laughs> oh, man, the, the close of the year seems to be coming pretty fast, right? You know, it's like Christmas and then New Year's. Oh. Okay with that, right? You know, I'm just slowly opening the door for 2021. We'll see. We'll see. It's going to be 2020 part two, right? Yeah. right. Good, good horror movie, right? Is always part two. <laughs> oh. So have you ever been part of a group or maybe part of a clique, right? No? You got your homies, right? <laughs> you got your homies. <laughs> you, know, you, you might have your own handshake. Got your own handshake? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, got your, you have a clubhouse. That's... Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, or maybe even just a, you know, we had an area that we all hung out in. It was an old dirt patch that you had little, you know, you know back in the day before there was BMX bikes. You know, you'd do the jump and, oh, cool, you know. Uh, you know, it was, it's a place for everyone to hang out. Uh, you know, there's, there's clubs, you know, like chess clubs or the, the PTA, you know, um, uh, all of these these groups together have have goals. You know whether it's learning how to play chess, learning how to play a better game, uh, to even how to you know have our kids or other people's kids learn uh, better. A group has an identity. You know a, a group <coughs> has an identity, and with that identity comes the you know the the issues or the the tasks at hand that that I that that group wants to. Uh, be a part of maybe you know that task or that hobby that they enjoy um, or the issues that they want to resolve together you know, of building a better school of uh, playing the perfect chess game uh, there are tons of groups we can belong to uh, just check you know Facebook groups there's there's probably thousands of them or hundreds of thousands that we can become a part of invest our time into a uh, group or a clique is a form of identity because it, it helps us find others who love the same thing, who love this hobby or enjoy dealing with this issue. You know, and in this, I wanted to ask, you know, what is, what is the church? And what are, what are we? You know, this body is a group of people, a formed local community that deals with issues. It has been called out, set apart from the world, forming a group of saints, of called out ones, of people made new in Christ Jesus. You know, and this, this brings us or gives us an identity, our identity. Peter says it well in his first letter. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are chosen. We're chosen servants. We are holy. We're a people of his own possession. 
so we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now from now, oh, sorry, excuse me. <laughs> For now, Jesus, in Jesus the Messiah, we are a people, and in him we have received mercy. You know, this leads us to our, our issue as a group that we go forward in, that we go forward with, of what we are to build together, enjoy together. We point others to the one who has called us out, to the one who has commissioned us. Jesus says this in the Gospel of Matthew. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, our, our Lord, the one that brings us out of darkness to light, commissions us. Which if you look that up on the, in the dictionary, it's the authority to act for or in behalf of or in the place of another. And then I, I like this. It's a task or a matter entrusted to one as an agent of another. So we are, we are entrusted. We are to go because he has all authority. We are to go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. This is our identity. This is what we are entrusted with. Let's, uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Father God, we, we thank you. We thank you for just everything that you have given us, Lord. There's just this time to, to sing, to sing to you, the king that has come, born to die for humanity. Know that on that holy night, on that silent night, you came into the world that the darkness turned to light. I think of the angels filling up that field, just uh, saying glory to God in the highest. Peace has come. And we can have peace with God through Christ Jesus. And we thank you for that, Lord. Be with us in this time as we look into the Gospel of John. Uh, thank you for this time to just uh, peer into your word. Uh, pierce us. Help us understand it more, to grow more, to apply it to our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So today, we... Today? Today? <laughs> today we see... Jesus is in the temple of Jerusalem where the cleansing takes place. Jesus points to his authority and the text shows us that Jesus is not to be entrusting himself to humanity. He won't be doing that. I go ahead and please turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John chapter 2. I think one of my other favorite traditions is singing Christmas hymns. That's always been a good, it's a good diaphragm working out, right? You know, they're all high. You're like, oh! <laughs> but, uh, John chapter 2, uh, verses 13 through 17. Let's read this. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, 
and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away from me. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. The disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal for your house will consume me. So after, after the wedding in Cana, and after the time spent with his, his mother and brothers and disciples in, Cap, in Capernaum, Jesus went to Jerusalem, for it was the time of the Passover was drawing near. In these, in these times, the Jewish people, the people of Judea, would make pilgrimages to the city of Jerusalem and be at the Holy Temple for three holy days. Passover, which is one that we see right here. Pentecost is which, uh, the one we see in the book of Acts. And then also for tabernacles or for booths. So up to Jerusalem, the nation went, and with it, Jesus. And he comes into the temple and he finds people selling, people changing out money, sitting all around here. This is a scene of trade, a scene of animals ready for the buying and ready to be sacrificed. It was a mess of busyness. After seeing this, Jesus made a whip of cords and drove them all out. He drove those out with sheep and oxen. He poured out the money and the money changers' tables. He overturned. And he spoke to those selling the pigeons. Take these things away, for my father's house is not a house of trade. Uh, please turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 21. Chapter 21, verses uh, 12 and 13, say this about the temple cleansing. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out those who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you make it a den of robbers. Uh, the Gospel of Mark also records that he was teaching them and saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers. See, the temple of the Lord was not to be a place of trade, not a place of commerce, not a place of robbery. No, it was to be a place of prayer, a place of prayer of all nations. Uh, this uh, scripture that he actually quotes is in the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah says this, I will bring, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And that's Isaiah 56, 7. This was the, the purpose of Israel, right? They are the guardians of truth. They're supposed to be a light to all the other nations, not to be like the other nations. What they had become was a stumbling block to all the other nations. The followers of Jesus remembered this is written, the zeal of your house will consume me. Uh, we see that in Psalm 69, if you want to turn there in your Bibles with me. Psalm 69. 
That's Psalm 69, verse 9. The psalmist says this, For the zeal of your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. The zeal of the Lord's house consumed him. Zeal is great energy or great enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause. You know, this wasn't random road rage or a burst of anger, but a reproach for those who reproached the Lord had fallen upon the Messiah. This was God's son showing his disapproval of these actions. And these actions, in fact, were discrediting God and distracting people from him. So the text goes on in John chapter 2 as this happens. In verses 18 through 22, it says this. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will rise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So after, after Jesus had driven out all of the trade, all of the money changers, the Jews came to him. And this is most likely the Jewish leadership, as they would be the ones that had authorized that, had authorized that trade could be taken place in the temple. And they were most likely the ones that wanted to inquire, why is this happening? Which they had done earlier with John the Baptist, right? Why are you doing this? Why are you baptizing people? Who are you? So they came speaking to him, asking, what sign do you show us? You know, it's like, what authority do you have here, right? You know, it's like what, what they're asking is by what means can Jesus drive out those doing business in the temple? You know, that's the question, right? Even in our age, who says, you know, by what authority? We ask those questions even today. Jesus spoke to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will rise it up. Jesus is pointing to his headship here, which is the proclaiming of his kingship, which is proclaimed in his kingship and in his resurrection. His headship is proclaimed in those. Please turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 1. Paul really lays this out in his um, in the opening of of his letter here in Romans. Romans verses 1 through 5 says this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. 
No, he's pointed to, right? He's promised beforehand through the prophets throughout the scriptures. There's the Sunday school connection right there. <laughs> so, we have those every Sunday. It's good, right? You know, God's word connects. This points, points out that he would be a descendant of David in the flesh and that he would be declared the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Those speaking to Jesus at the time misunderstood him, thinking that he was talking about the very temple they were standing in. They questioned him. I feel almost like mocking, mockingly questioning him, saying that it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you, you will rise it up in three days? But he was talking about his own body, his resurrection. For his authority rests on the truth of who he is. And his resurrection is the proof of who he is. He is the son of God. Now, he has the authority in the temple and in all matters of life and death. You know, the disciples of Jesus recall this later. And they believed in the scripture and in the word of Jesus for what they had witnessed had been affirmed, had been supported. In both the scriptures and who Jesus is. Uh, John sees this, sees Jesus' glory in the book of Revelation, if you wanted to turn to chapter 1 with me. Chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. John sees this. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And the hairs of his head were white, like white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the shining of the sun in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died. Behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. I really fell in love with this verse this week. I was like, this is so cool. He's the living one that has died, and he's alive forevermore. This is the Son of Man, the one who can approach God, right in Daniel, Daniel 7, 13 and 14. He approaches God in Daniel, and he comes, and John sees him here in the book of Revelation, and Jesus tells him not to fear he is the first and the last, the living one who has died and who is alive forevermore. He holds the keys to death and Hades. And he has all authority. And he is the holy one, the truthful one, the trustworthy one. He is not to be feared, but he is also not a tame king. 
He is a king full of zeal. And he is the one that all will answer to. The Gospel of John goes on in chapter 2. Verses uh, 23 through 25. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. <clears throat> but Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. So after the temple events, Jesus and his followers stayed in Jerusalem for the Passover. You know, the text goes on saying that many had believed in his name. You know, they had saw you know, the signs, they had saw the wonders, the manifestations of his glory. And they placed their faith, they placed their trust in the name of Jesus. Uh, this is a, a saying of John that they had believed in his name. These people entrusted themselves, committed themselves, and put their trust in his name. You know, they saw his character and authority, and they trusted him. But Jesus, on his part, does not entrust himself to them. It kind of made me you know, wonder why. You know, why, you know, why didn't he? You know, why were they coming to him? You know, maybe what kind of groups and parties did they want Jesus to be part of? Like, join our chess club. Jesus, come on, you know, or something. You know, did they see that wonder, uh, truly believe, and then want him to join them? You know, Jesus doesn't do this. He doesn't become a part of any group, party, or movement because he knows all of humanity. And Jesus has no need of someone to inform him of this truth. No, he, he knows it. He knows what is in humanity. Now, please turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 51. That's Psalm 51, verses 3 through 5. The psalmist says this, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now this is King David writing. King David is here saying that he knows his transgression. He knows that sin is ever before him, you know, this is evil in the sight of the Lord, he says. And all of the sin that we commit is actually against the Almighty. And all of this is brought forth. Humanity is brought forth in iniquity. We are all born in sin. This is our, our nature. From our four parents, Adam and Eve, our nature comes from them. All of creation was broken by that first choice to sin. And to be like God without him, without God. So sin entered creation. Sin entered humanity. And with it, ruin. So our society, our groups, our parties, our movements, 
are unable to overcome this because sin is humanity's problem. And all things that we deal with as a world, as a society, are the very effects of that cause within the human heart. So Jesus knows this. He knows the heart of humanity. He knows that there's darkness in all of us. That we are sinners. We are sinners that fill society, our groups and our movements, so we can understand that they cannot and will not fix the brokenness. For they themselves are broken. So Jesus doesn't entrust himself to anyone because the movement, the man, or the way as it's first called, the, the Christians, the church, is a thing unto itself. Because it alone knows its king is the one who redeems sinners and brings together all that are broken. Uh, please turn your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. Paul states this. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Though it is in Jesus alone that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It is through Jesus that God is bringing back all things to himself. By the blood of Christ on the cross is where we find this hope. Nowhere else is it found. This is the truth found here. We can never reform society apart from God's grace and God's glorious Son. You can only transform sinners, deal with the heart that is alienated before God reconcile them to God in Christ. And there they are made holy and blameless in him and can come before him. And that is the hope for all sinners, no matter what kind of society we live in. Now today we see that Jesus is at the temple in Jerusalem, where we see him cleansing it. And Jesus points to his authority in the text, shows him that he will not be entrusting himself to humanity, even as people flock to him. Now, this means that Jesus wants our worship, for he is worthy of our worship, but also that it needs to be pure. It means that we need to cleanse our lives, our hearts, and our minds, and come before him in a steadfast way. You know, this means, this text means that Jesus has all authority, and he has the proof of his authority his resurrection is the only proof we need. This means that we entrust Jesus. We come to join him, 
to become part of his movement, to follow the way of our crucified king, not to bring him to our side, to our battle that we want him to join, but to join ourselves wholeheartedly to the message and the commission that is before us to bring redemption to all of humanity. So how do we apply this to today? You know, a bunch of questions came to mind. You know, is our, is our church worship, is our church, uh, or is our, is our life worship cleansed? Or are we a place of trade? You know, is there more time for essential oils or other things than there is for God? Yeah, you know, there are, not, I don't have anything against oils, by the way. I just, yeah. <laughs> um, but are there things in our place of worship that derail ourselves or others from praying and praising to God? You know, in our personal lives, do we allow good things or even bad things? Do we allow hobbies or sins to get in the way of our time with God? That we would cleanse ourselves, that we would come before the almighty Lord like Ecclesiastes says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Do not draw near to listen, or to draw near to listen is better than to offer sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are doing, that what they are doing is evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. It's a hard verse for a talker. <laughs> like, like but let's come with that reality. God is God and we are not. And from this, we need to understand we entrust Jesus. But we still need to deal with our hearts. That's the sanctification part, right? Walking day by day. We need to understand, as Jeremiah says, as Hannah read that they are wicked, sinful, and sick. Therefore, we trust Jesus. Not this movement or that party or a group over there. No, humanity will fail and fall because humanity is sinful. Uh, just pick up a history book. It's, it's pretty easy to see. We see that sin is humanity's problem. The prophet Isaiah says it like this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all you know the Judeo-Christian view of humanity rests in this truth we are made in the image of God formed and framed male and female in the image of God but it also tells us there's a problem there's a problem that is not somewhere out there with some enemy but it is very much inside of us so let us not trust groups, parties, or movements, but let us trust the one, the Son of Man, who can cleanse us from all iniquity by the blood of his cross. And we can trust him because he has all authority in heaven on earth upon life and death, for he is the living one that has died. You know, even in the end, we don't have Jesus come to our crowd or our clique or our group or our movement. No, this man is altogether different. He builds a church, a called out community, holy and blameless, able to draw near to God, able to battle 
the fight that matters most, the fight against their own hearts. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word that just deals with the reality of our situation, of our brokenness, of our iniquity, of our insufficiency to get there. But Lord, you come to rescue us. You come to redeem us that no men won't die. Men can have a second birth. Thank you so much, Lord, for the gospel of John, for this time and this season that we can sing Christmas hymns, that we can look at lights in the darkness. Help us be lights in the darkness. Help us go forward to live in a called out life. And Lord, we just thank you for your grace in Jesus. I just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.